Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinterklein. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. Vasilisa Lukyanenko, you are a certified emotional intelligence and high-performance coach and cognitive behavioral therapist. You arrived to emotional intelligence coaching through Zen Buddhism and to the teachings of Eckhart Tolle and John Kabat-Zinn. You are currently exploring existential psychology, specifically logotherapy, which was created by Viktor Frankl, as well as Alfred Adler's individual psychology. You believe that the core of most people's problems is the lack of meaning in their life, and that each person is 100% in charge of their well-being and happiness. Welcome, Vasilisa Lukyanenka. All right. Thank you for this amazing introduction, Daniel. And uh, thank you, guys, uh, Daniel and John, for inviting me today. And I hope it will be a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for joining us. This was um, uh, really interesting to find you. I literally just Instagram searched emotional intelligence and uh, your um, Vasilisa coaching came up and um, I just you're loved number, it. We, you're number one. <laughs> I didn't know about it. So we found her, guys. You're looking for <laughs> the one to lead you to most emotional intelligence. The most emotionally intelligent person on the face of the earth. <laughs> Vasilisa. <laughs> no, that's not that. She never said that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's great to have you on here. It's definitely a topic that um, I personally am am really interested in. I think the world is interested in it. I think uh, it's at the core of a lot of um, what's going on in the world right now in other uh, areas of study. And it just means a lot to have a discussion with someone who literally considers themselves an emotional intelligence coach. Like, I didn't know that thing existed, but I love it. So um yeah, we're just really happy to hear it. It's been nice talking to you and hearing a little bit about your path. Um, yeah. Well, so Lisa, I was just in um, Costa Rica with my family. We were staying there and working. And and part of that was part of the attitude that I found there was, um, was due in part to the fact that it was a surf town. And people were outside a lot and they were like in the water and hanging out. Like it seemed people were at ease and they were kinder to each other and nicer to each other. But what's that, what's that like right now with you? And, and I got to say, that's in kind of opposition to what I'm fi- like feeling sometimes here in Portland uh, where it's not bad. It's totally not bad, but it's definitely like, on edge. And I think people are on edge because of COVID restrictions and because of the kids are still not in school. They just kind of went back to school, but all that stuff. What's that like where you are in Krakow? Like, is that, what's it feel like? Has the COVID been tough? Uh, Well, yeah, it's been tough. And now finally the restrictions are being lifted off and, and people actually are enjoying the things and uh, appreciate the things more that they uh, didn't, they wouldn't before COVID, you know, just just uh, going to places and uh, walking without mask in the park because it's just been uh, allowed like this really recently. Yeah. So yeah, things these things are are, bit, are getting better. So yeah. Wait, so you're in Krakow? That's how you say it, Krakow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's Krakow. so funny. Yeah. 
I, uh, so like 15 years ago, it was my dream to uh, start dancing. Like I had done uh, like athletics in college and high school and I was a runner and kind of burnt on all that. And I uh, had kept um, seeing swing dancing come up um, like just in life. Like I would see it on a movie or something like that and love it. And so I was like, oh my God, that's what I want to do. So I went down, I just like somehow found this dance coach in my little town in Northern California. And it was this guy who was like 20, probably 20 something years old, super young guy. And he was like um, teaching uh, Lindy Hop, teaching dance and started taking his class. I'd walk down once a week and take this hour long class. There was no Lindy Hop in the little town in in Chico that I lived in. Um, But once a week I'd go and then you know, ended up traveling to other places and taking more lessons and blah, 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 going to convention type of things, weekends. Well, that guy and I have stayed in contact and he's been very dear to my heart because I went on to like teach dance. Well, I had the opportunity to teach dance a little bit and um, dance a lot all over the world, generally through uh, living in Portland, Oregon, which has an incredible dance scene. Long story short, that guy now lives in Krakow, Poland and has lived there for like 10 years. (laughs) wow lisa we found your new dance partner (laughs) that's funny yeah yeah it's go ahead Mm -hmm. Uh, go ahead please yeah yeah what i want to say that the world is such a small place because um your story brought another story to me um i was uh, attending a, a coach training course uh, the school is based itself is based in San Francisco, so it was of course a remote co- uh, course. But I had a mentor coach who, like, literally recently moved to to Poland, and now he lives in Warsaw. And we actually had a chance to meet a couple of weeks ago. Oh, we wow. were starting a, a project together now, so it's like you never know, uh, like how things are happening and why they're happening. But yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Yeah. One of the things, my wife and I have had a personal development brand for the last five years. And one thing that we found, a plus side of this COVID thing is that if people are employed, which thankfully is, is you know, uh, there's still people who are employed. There are a lot of folks have now have like more bandwidth to explore kind of the existential dread, the the feeling of like my life isn't quite right right now and COVID actually gave them the freedom to explore that a little bit more because they've got more time because they're at home they can work from home they're not spending money on like gasoline or travel or or those kinds of things um and we found a lot of people really looking forward to like trying to work through this kind of stuff is that what you have found too yeah yeah uh actually speaking about like this uh the change of reality during COVID. Yeah, yeah. that's a good way to describe uh, it. Change of reality. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and and then like it's it's a new reality, and different people find their ways to adjust to it. You mm. know, mm. and so for some people, it's been transformational uh, experience. For some people, unfortunately, it affected their mental health a lot. So it yeah, it, totally. It depends on yeah. yeah how you perceive what is happening to you. Well, and that's, that's like kind of leads into one of the reasons why uh, I was attracted to your work. And when we started chatting, uh, after I first reached out, you pretty quickly mentioned Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which we have, um, you know, we've just mentioned a lot on this show uh, because 
Uh, I just personally think it's one of the most valuable pieces of um, literature or work that's ever been done because he experienced, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my um, memory and understanding is that Victor Frankl was uh, captured in World War <laughs> World War II, and he um, uh, essentially was put into Auschwitz and I think a couple other um, camps. And then while in, he effectively going through what would be probably accurately termed a, a state of living hell, found that he was the one who had the one thing that couldn't be taken away from him was how he perceived what was happening to him, his experience of what was happening to him. And that ended up being, as I understand it, the um, at least the cornerstone of what I understood from that work and an incredibly valuable uh, empowering tool and reality that people can have. Is that what you would say is accurate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. Exactly. And uh, what I wanted to say is that, uh, yeah, reality itself is, it is, it is neutral until we start judging it and deciding, oh, is it, is it good for us or is it bad for us? And, you know, uh, usually people sometimes even take for granted what is good and try to focus on what is bad, you know, and finding like negatives, which, which makes like this, um, uh, this, this problem and uh, you know there is a thing that is called also um, uh, Sunday neurosis you know when people when they work and they don't think think a lot about okay what's going on in their life and uh, they just do something on autopilot but then when Sunday comes and and they're questioning okay uh, like why am I not happy or why yeah. am I uncomfortable because it's, yeah um, yeah. People and, are not used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, you know, like you were mentioning COVID and it's very easy. People's experience of it range. Like I'm not speaking to everybody out there. I know that people have experienced really hard stuff. You know, the idea though, is that Viktor Frankl was in Auschwitz, you know, and he was dying, you know, you're okay. It's a big Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's like the idea there is that it's about as bad as it gets. And so how many times do we go through something that bad? Well, it's dependent on your ability to um, carry what is going on with you, right? Like if, like, let's maybe Victor Frankl had really big, like emotional muscles, you know? Um, but the idea there is that, man, a, a person went through the worst of the worst and he decided and realized that he could still be happy. Um, because that was what couldn't be taken away from him. And how how valuable is that? It just blew me away when I read it. Yeah. Um, well, it it's important to realize uh, to understand that um, once a person has this realization that okay, it's it's me who decides mm. uh, how I interpret the situation that's in front of me, and then uh, what. What emotional intelligence, where, where it comes and where it helps, it, you know what the emotions are about. Yes, for example, you're, you're, happy, uh, you're happy or you're sad or you're angry. The, it is just um, a signal about something that is happening in the outer world because uh, through, we rely on our senses. But then what you do with this, right? You, you 
you just follow this emotion and and stay stay with it uh, or do some takes do some take some actions which are, which are not uh, helpful or you analyze okay i'm feeling this way because this is what is happening but is it helping me mm-hmm. right and what what can i do instead what will help me mm. let's say okay you you are sad because because it's covid you cannot leave your your house you start feeling depressed and so on but you, but here where emotional intelligence can come into play and you're asking okay i understand uh, why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And at mm. this stage, you accept your emotions. It's important to accept them because we always mm. think, oh, something is wrong with me. I need to stop it, right? Mm. Totally. And when when you accept it, okay, you feel okay. It's okay to feel it. But then the next step is, but what would help me in this moment, right? And yeah. you don't have to think, oh, I, I would like to feel happy and exhilarated. It's not possible, <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Uh, because there is an emotional range and... Just being calm and and satisfied and at peace could be a good place to be instead of depressed, right? Yeah. Do you think? And that, then you're finding ways how to get there. Do you think that? Yeah. We can change our emotional responses that are subconscious responses. Do you think we can do that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and as you said, yeah, they are subconscious responses, and so like what happens to us, and I uh, like. I can say that I'm my own laboratory, so I experienced it myself, and mm. then yeah, I, I'm bringing it to my clients. And but when we have some emotion, it kind it's subconscious. Yes, it happens uh, in an instant. It means it it kind of um, it doesn't go through think and filter. It's there. It just pops yeah. up <laughs> like a, like a bubble, you know, on the top yeah. of the water. Yeah, and on the surface of the water. And then so um, what you do you it can be your wake-up call and you become aware you stop you, you start viewing yourself as observer of okay i observe mm. this emotion in me and then you can um like dig deeper and you will always find out why is it there because because it's been triggered by some reaction to something you know so you, do, do, you think, do you think that um we need to figure out why it's there? Uh, it's good to know because very often it can be some old emotion, you know, yeah. that, that for the first time you might have experienced it in childhood and right. it somehow helped you and you keep just repeating it, you know, right. especially especially when people have like social anxiety or something like that. And then mm-hmm. they keep, keep, keep feeling it like for no reason, you know. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah. I love what you talked about. The, the question is, is it useful? Uh, that didn't hit me. I'm 41, by the way, 41 years old. And that question didn't hit me around my emotions and around what I was experiencing internally until maybe only two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, it, um, and I was going through a, a month-long, uh, very intense, like, uh, period where I was, um, number one, I was microdosing psilocybin, magic mushrooms. So I was taking a very, very small amount, but I was also meditating every day. I was also being very disciplined about my exercise, my sleep, my food, my hydration, my relationships, like the whole thing. I, I was talking to my doctor very closely 
And, and the reason why was because I was, I, I, over my entire life, I've experienced this internal voice that said something to the effect of like, I'll never amount to anything. Um, you know, this kind of like commentator voice, like no matter how much success I had experienced in my life, whether it was in a workplace or in my relationships or as a father or with even my hobbies, you know, lifelong hobbies that I had, I would have this voice telling me how bad I was at all of it and telling me how terrible I was. Like I was never going to like amount to anything. And, and one night I was laying in bed and the voice started again. And in the past, the voice would like adrenalize me. Like I would hear the voice of the existential questioning and then it would like wake me up. And then I would like, of course, like not be able to sleep the rest of the night. Like I would just be in bed staring at the ceiling of my bedroom, you know, wondering what the hell's happening with myself. And, and it wasn't until about that time where um, suddenly that question that you said so, so well, which was in my mind, is this helpful? Is this, is this idea and is this voice helpful? And that was one of the greatest questions. And I hope by us telling this, you know, saying this question out loud, it's helpful to someone else. Like that was one of the greatest questions I'd ever asked myself because I was like, Oh, holy shit. No, it's not. This is actually like a giant waste of time, (laughs) like a huge pain in my butt that I find very disturbing. Like every time it comes up and that, really began to allow me um, to just notice when it came up, like notice that it was there. And I'm not sure if I would use the word accept that it was there, but just notice that it was there and be, and be okay that it was there. And then, and then ask myself the question, like what would be useful in this moment? Like what would be helpful? Have you ever had an experience like that? About that voice, I think uh, if, oh, yeah. if you ask me or anyone else, uh, everyone will say they have this voice. Mm. Like literally every human being lives with this voice because we mm. can say it is a voice of your ego, mm. right? Mm-hmm. It, you're, it's, you're never enough, you're never good, uh, you have to do this or you have to do that. And right. about that voice, I've been exploring quite uh, a bit on that side. And, and I'm very, when I'm outdoors, uh, I try to watch people uh, if, if I have uh, an opportunity. It's not that, like I'm stalking people. <laughs> yeah. And and I noticed uh, such a situation. There was uh, a little boy with his father walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave me an idea where this voice comes from, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's not so much our ego voice. So, yeah. um, and they're walking down the street. And this little boy, maybe he's three years old or something, uh, he trips over because uh, the, pay, uh, the payment wasn't um, that if he falls down. Uh, he gets up, dusts himself off, and keeps walking. And his dad is asking, why weren't you looking where you were going? But wow. Yeah. This is where our negative uh, self-talk comes from. Wow. And, then you, and then you start asking yourself, why wasn't I uh, watching what I was doing? I should have done this and should have done that. Because for that little child, it was not an issue. He fell down, he got up, he kept on moving. Yeah. yeah. This is like the pure nature of, of, of a human being, right? But then, like with time, from, yeah. we get all those messages from others. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's so interesting you said that because because when I started to notice how often that voice was was uh, vocal in my mind, I started to notice like, well, what does the voice sound like? Whose voice does it sound like the most? Who is it familiar to me? And and it the voice became uh, my father in certain circumstances. My the voice yeah. became church leaders that I had had as a child or for even friends that I had had like friends who I put on a certain pedestal like like if I'm accepted by them then I'm okay if I'm rejected by these kinds of people then I'm not okay and so so the voice changed and often just like you said the voice was not only attached to a particular person but to a particular instant just like in the example you gave where a moment of fear of wanting to be accepted, of wanting to be loved, of wanting to be seen, wasn't exactly met, right? Like there was the fear, the fear that cracked open, the door opened and it came in. Have you ever had anything like that happen to you, Daniel? Like if you, where you finally kind of identified like that, that inner voice or that negative feeling like attached to a particular instance in your life? I mean, I, no, I, I haven't because my relationship with my emotional responses and inner voice is a little bit different. Hmm. Um, my inner voice is pretty awesome, um, <laughs> nice. but, but it's my conscious inner voice. Like hmm. my subconscious inner voice communicates to me through emotions. I, I don't have like a, Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? And, and so the tape that I hear is, a, is one that I've created that's a very loving human, you know, mm. in my head, but the emotional responses I have are different and so, sometimes. And so that's, that's uh, makes it a hard, a little hard to uh, um, relate, but what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I mean, like a lot of sense and Vasilisa, what you said about, um, you know, that voice coming from that father, you know, yeah. uh, wow. You know, like that, the first seven years or so, you know, like, it's like, be careful what you put into yeah. this little, little one, you know? And yeah. I, I know if I was walking with a child at this stage in my life and they did that, it, I would, I would roll with it like the child did, you know, like not putting focus on something wrong or on the pain, like move, move through it as quickly as we possibly can. And with as much levity, I suppose, it's not imposed levity, but just, you know, and that feels good, but I'm, if, if I'm already wired, you know, as a, as a, as an adult, then how much does parenting myself now with a, with a kind inner voice change things, you know, and, and that's, that's what I've been focusing on more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, actually, usually this is the time when you're, Kind of reparenting yourself, let's say, right? Yeah. Because uh, this emotional part is sometimes called your inner child, right? Because yeah. when you're a child, you are mostly uh, trusting your emotions and acting on emotions. You either throw in a temper tantrum mm -hmm. if you want something, or you want <laughs> to please your parents, yeah, and so on and so on. So, and this emotional side can stay so strong and overriding everything we are doing that that we will just, you know, feel we are not in control of our life. And then when we are reparenting our inner child or this emotional side of us, it's like we are saying, uh, we are accepting the emotions because they are there. They want to inform us about something. 
Yeah. But then we're saying, okay, we've got it covered. You are safe. I will take care of it. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is what worked for me. I've had to do this exact same thing, Vasilisa. I've had to literally reparent myself, like go back to memories yeah. through meditative states and running and other kinds of things and like rewrite memories around yeah. specific detail. Yeah. That's interesting. That's cool yeah. that you're doing that. You know, uh, speaking to that, Ron, like I have never experienced uh, what you're talking about so acutely as as right now in my life. And mm. it's been an incredible experience because it's literally like um, my, my, and I have the privilege to do this. Like that's always a caveat that I have to say, like it's a massive privilege to have the time and capacity um, to be able to reparent oneself. And at least to the extent that I'm able to, I have a lot of freedom in my life. Um, uh, and with that said, I feel like there's a lot of responsibility. Like you got a lot of freedom and privilege to do this. Yeah. So you fucking succeed, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I've found that, uh, it's a long process and that mm-hmm. five years ago, uh, I was experiencing a level of subconscious anxiety coming up because of, um, the story that I have, um, been going with is because of a pretty extreme childhood trauma when I was four years old. So this starts to come up and become conscious and overwhelming in my thirties. And there was no communication with these emotions. They were just, they were bullying me. They were running the show and it was extremely intense. And I I think a lot of people are on some level experiencing that, um, at least in my observation. Well, my point being is over time there became, there came a, and this is through like, working with medication and working with uh, therapists and just being mindful of uh, taking care of myself and making myself or creating an environment where I feel safe in body um, and in psyche um, over years and learning what that looks like. So what I noticed in doing all of those things is there, there a gap started to grow between that uh, bubble on the surface, instantaneous emotional response and, um, and I actually was able to work a little bit and get my voice, my conscious voice, that voice I said that I've developed, it's like a pretty good parent. Like that voice got to sneak in for a, a couple of seconds, you know, and then it was too heavy and it would all fall apart and I'd get overwhelmed. But now I'm like five, 10 years through that experience. Well, I'm 10 years through that experience of, of being in contact with subconscious emotions. And now it's like, I have a voice, you know, I still mess up. I still get overwhelmed. I don't like win every argument. I don't like, um, I can't always care for that part of myself, but I tell you it's, it's, it's a different show now. And that is one of the most encouraging things I've ever experienced Mm -hmm. as a human. Mm -hmm. In that process, Daniel, did you, at what point did you begin to realize that there was some plasticity to your emotions that they could change and and you could, and then you maybe you were introduced to that idea of emotional intelligence it was it all happened five i got overwhelmed 10 yeah. years ago and then you know i worked i kind of like got myself under control yeah. and then it came up it's come up a couple of times and it, it now comes up around romantic relationships that's where interesting my stuff comes up <laughs> I, I mean i think everyone's got their place right like some yeah. folks are like my 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 um thorn to bear is is like around 
career or relationship or parenting or my inability to have a child or, you know, there's my finances or something like that. And well, what it was for me, Ron, was it literally, I was walking one day in Portland, Oregon, five years ago. I was like, my friend and I joke whenever we're way off our path, we just like, yeah, we're in like the ninth dimension, you know, we're just out there. I was in a relationship that uh, was uh, trauma bonded, that was codependent on my end as hell. It was not healthy. She was an incredible person. She totally had my back. But I was just walking on the street one day and severe to extreme anxiety. Um, And I just told myself, you're safe. I don't know why I said it. I just said, you're safe. Mm. And I noticed for one second, I felt safe. My emotions calmed. And I have my nervous system chilled out and I was like, Oh my God. And then it was like, it all fell apart and I got overwhelmed again, but that was the first time. (laughs) That was the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, at this point, like you and I, I mean, you and I've been talking, you've been, we've been friends for 10 years and, and we've been talking about this emotional intelligence stuff for a a while. I mean, I think that's a big reason we even started this, this podcast was to talk about the way this is happening and then we get to meet people like Vasilisa who who are authorities in some ways in this stuff. Like where, where what was going on in your life, uh, Vasilisa, when you were like, oh geez, like this is like a, a key that I need in my life. And and or at least like what was going on when you were wanting to share this? Mm-hmm. Um well, you know what um uh, I can say that um I have such a feature. Yeah, uh, or I'm I'm wired in such a way that that I thought um, is is not a blessing to have, but uh, actually this was my blessing. And I'm HSP, highly sensitive person, mm. uh, and actually uh, there are a lot of HSPs, and they they are not comfortable talking about this because what highly sensitive uh, people are experiencing is um, they feel the world. Um, and they respond uh, to think uh, to the surrounding world more more ac- acutely because mm-hmm. they sense everything more acutely, you know. Yeah. And, Is but this the, the same as empaths or people who are highly empathetic? Um, can be yes, uh-huh. but highly okay. empathetic people are, are yeah, um, yeah, people who who can just deeply connect and feel others. Uh, okay. Yeah, but HSP is highly sensitive people. I feel everything, uh, gotcha. you know, they can be easily overwhelmed by light, by sound or, you know, okay. uh, yeah. And at the same time, uh, I was very, sen- like my part, I was very sensitive yeah, um, to other people's uh, mm. reactions. I could read people easily and so on and so on. And, and, my, re- and my reactions uh, were very acute as well and uh, not, not really controllable. Huh. And then I started searching and I and I thought, oh, maybe something is wrong with people, you know, like very often we start with thinking something is wrong with others, not with me, right? Could you give me an example? Like when you said you could read people, like I I I feel I have a feeling you and I are probably pretty similar in some of this stuff. And that's probably what draws a lot of folks like you and I into this the industry that we're in. But give me an example of like when you were like, okay, I'm feeling this feeling about a situation or, or a person or something like that. And you just realized you hit a bullseye. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you're reading their body language. Uh, when they're sa saying something, you can read between the lines, you know? Yeah. Because you're sensitive and and you're feeling more. And it's not that like you have uh, any uh, special abilities. No. Right. It's, it's, you're just... Uh, yeah. I like to think of it as special abilities. <laughs> could be, could be, right? And then, um, yeah. But at the same time, it's too much information to take in. Right, you know? yeah. And you get overwhelmed by it. Uh, and this was uh, when my journey started because mm. okay, uh, I thought this is this is something that I can use to to benefit myself. And then uh, yeah, I was also recommended this book by my therapist back then. It, I was 18 years old, and it was by Elaine Aaron uh, mm. who created who coined uh, this um, HSP uh, highly sensitive people uh, idea. Yeah, mm. and it started from there. Uh, but still, okay, I, I, I learned how to uh, handle myself, but I was still thinking um, something is wrong with others. And then I decided to move uh, cities, to change jobs. Then I moved even to China, to a different country where we had totally different people. But my story was kind of repeating in terms of relationships. And this this was this like aha moment when I said, okay, mm. it means something is wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was and there is a saying wherever you are uh, traveling you're bringing yourself with you right so this was my case and my realization and i started and um i stopped trying to fix the world mm -hmm. i i started learning more about myself and mm -hmm. seeing what i can change so yeah. Lisa, how can i ask and, and maybe this is putting you on the spot too much but how, where is an area that you feel like you're, you know, working right now in your life emotionally and maybe having some successes, but also maybe having some not so much successes, like maybe a challenging area that is pushing you? Do you have anywhere like that in your life right now? Mm, well, uh, where I have successes is I know what I feel, why I feel and how to work with it. Exactly. That's a good way to right? describe that. Yeah. But uh, what I also know is if you let the emotion uh, override you, and it's like a train. If, if the speed is high, you cannot stop it. You have mm. to just, you can try to slow it down by throwing things in front of this train, but you cannot stop it. Otherwise, it will break. So uh, when um, in, in certain situations, yeah, when my emotion is at full speed and being a highly sensitive person, it's... It's, it's a pretty pretty tough ride. I just allow myself to stay in it. Hmm. But every time I'm, as I told you, I'm my own laboratory. So I'm, I'm using different experiments with my emotions uh, yeah. and with myself to, which, which eventually takes me to getting out of that state faster. And, hmm. yeah. and then I'm Do taking notes of that. And then I, uh, yeah, sorry. Take no, it notes, nice. <laughs> yeah, and bring it to my customer uh, clients and yeah. uh, it works for them. It's very interesting to me. You, 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 uh, you're, you're doing something similar. The way you talk about what you do is really similar to the, what I feel like I'm doing too. And I envy you a little bit because you have a professional environment to um, help other people with this and to do that through like the arti uh, um, repeated articulation that um, can kind of be s not systematized, but, you know, just repped out. I always like that term, just repped out, you know, and 
I have a good friend of mine who works with um, troubled youth. He's a group home, like essentially um, supervisor. And I was living him with him for a few years while he was working this job. And um, I saw him change and grow into a, a, an emotionally intelligent human because he was on the floor all day with these kids who were just freaking out, you know, I mean, they're mm. all in really tough positions and they're kicking him and biting him and spitting on trying to take out his knees, you know, and he's got to be, he has to maintain adulthood and consistency and predictability and safety all the time, despite his own personal emotional response. And I just watched him grow up as a human. Like he, that translated to how he spoke to me, how he uh, served as a mediator between a friend of mine and I as, and it was just, I was like, how fortunate he is, you know? And it seems like maybe, a, and because it, because it, what well, the way I look at it is my little, like my inner self is one of those kids tweaking, you know? And, and to be able to be that adult and not get wrapped up into it, it's a little bit of a different game when it's your own mind, right? Um, but I think that's it's analogous to some extent. Yeah, true, true. And actually, um, all the, the description that you used, this is what uh, mastering emotional intelligence feels like, right? Yeah. Growing up. <laughs> growing up as a 30, 40, 50-year-old human. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, it's yeah. it's like, how old are we emotionally, you know? And, you know, I personally, pretty young, you know? Like, I'm like a bratty little, you know, a, a friend of mine told me that after what happened to me when I was four, which is essentially losing a parent, I was, I showed up at a at a person's house and this is a person I know now, was four years old. And they said that you were like, you were like a little refugee, you know, you were totally shell-shocked and um, really struggling. And it's like, I have a picture of me from back in that time and you can see it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's really nice to have some imagery and be like, that's who I'm dealing with. And, mm -hmm. and that helps me like conceptualize it and be there for it. And we had Stephen Barnes on a little bit ago. We haven't actually had an official conversation, but he's an author and another coach. And, you know, same thing. Imagine that little kid and put him right by you and you got to love him and you got to be able to die for him. Like you got to love yourself that much. That's, yeah. that's how change happens. And what I'm finding right now in confronting what I believe to be as close to the core of my emotional issues as I've ever been is that's what it takes. I, it's like put everything down, focus on your emotions um, communicate with them, be there for them. That takes allowance, caring, responsibility, knowing. It takes every, all, everything you've everything you've got so far that you've worked on. Get it all out there and and prioritize this. And and what I've discovered is you can grow, you can change. Yeah, you know, I believe that. Yeah, no matter what, I, I'm the same way. Vasilisa, I got into this world because. Um, my parents, uh, while they were religious, um, had very a lot of difficulty in their relationships between the two of them. My dad and mom were married 13 times, um, which is kind of cultural to where they, my parents were from. Um, it's kind of like a country music saga, um, the way that they had their relationships. You know, they met in a bar and... And uh, like a lot of American Western men, my, my dad was not around, you know, the father wound is, is like ubiquitous, right? Like, it's just like, everyone's got it. 
no one's talking about it, or now they're finally talking about it. And, and then I found my salvation, if you will, like the way I could figure out life through religious context growing up, like that was church for me going to church and the, and the way that people accepted me more and thought it was novel and cute that this young man wanted to talk about God and wanted to talk about uh, getting healed or better or whatever it was like just being a better human. We had our own like kind of secret language around it, like a very specific churchy cultural language around it. And, and at, even as I've aged and even as I have my relationship with, with religion has changed a lot. Uh, my desire to, my desire for healing and my desire to help other people has never waned but it all essentially started with my own parental, you know, upbringing, the way my parents were. It sounds a little like Daniel, the way, what happened to him as a child. Like, can you kind of look back on your age, you know, highly sensitive person understanding and your own world? Like, can you look back on your childhood and see like, oh, that, like I see why I, I kind of got into this world? Mm. Uh, that's, that's interesting question. Interesting question. And yeah, uh, what I can say um, yeah, since childhood, I felt like I I will be doing something different, you know, mm. uh, because sometimes people just copy what their parents do or or, or believe what the beliefs that they are imposed on them. Yeah. But for me, it was no. I'm I'm sure there is something more to to more than what they're saying, and there's yeah. more to life. And I used to be a bit of a rebel. Huh. Because I, I wanted to pursue my path and just to experience world the, the world my way, just yeah. just for the sake of seeing what it will be like if 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 I do the way I want to. Yeah, and yeah, it ended up to be quite a uh, interest, quite an interesting journey so far. <laughs> That's funny. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I'm curious. Uh, do you? Um, when you talk about, we were talking about logotherapy uh, before. Do you um, do you practice that? Is that is that like one of the main things that you practice? Um, uh, speaking about logotherapy, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is existential psychology, yeah, and this is something that resonates with me a lot because I live by these principles, and when I uh, encountered this theory and encountered and started reading uh, familiarizing myself with Victor Frankl's work mm. uh, it just you know um, hit at home and then I understand uh, I, I started understanding more what I kind of knew intuitively and was was doing intuitively yeah because I was prioritizing purpose in meaning uh, in my life, I was putting it first because uh, yeah. if I tried prioritizing other things, it never worked out or it never felt right. And being a highly sensitive person, the good thing is you can never lie to yourself. You know, you cannot right. say, oh, this this totally. should be good for me because yeah. you know the answer. The answer is there. You cannot <laughs> lie to yourself. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe that. I don't, I, I my wife and I have talked often about how we, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have used purpose and meaning as the, we wouldn't have used those words, but mm -hmm. the, but I could use those words interchangeably with how we, um, uh, I want to say categorized our life, but the way that we've put the priorities that we've put in our life, you know, mm -hmm. the inner journey, the inner healing, uh, making sure that, that we are, um, uh, 
helping people, helping society, helping the world, being good uh, parents, like those, those are more important to us than career or, um, uh, earning money. And now we're realizing, um, we made the right choice, (laughs) you know, it's given us, it's given us, uh, the ability to be content and find purpose, no matter what our circumstances, because we've been through really hard circumstances and we've been married 14 years this summer we've been in relationship for longer than that. And, and we don't regret how we've lived because of that. And I, and, and I did find a lot of regret. Like I I've had a lot of different jobs and things like that. And I was always, I want to say always, but often looking for purpose in those jobs. And I was sharing with you guys off offline earlier that, you know, this last kind of nine to five job I had was like in a way connected to me lying to myself like you were saying Mm -hmm. earlier like you can't lie to yourself I knew I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing in the sense that I had created this this idea of a reality that if I owned a cafe of some kind that that would work out in this bigger scheme which is I wanted to have a place that I could take men in particular and coach with them and and I had this like super harebrained idea of it that being in a cafe. I don't know why. It just seemed romantic to me. And then someone was like, well, don't start your own. Go work for a company that does that. So long story short, I end up owning a donut shop down to, in downtown Portland that was a part of another chain. And, and really what that meant was I was like on the ground, like boots on the ground, like running this business at 4.30 in the morning and going like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Like, this isn't what I want to be doing. I don't want to be unloading and loading donuts out of delivery vans. I don't want to be dealing with um, waking people up who are asleep in the stoop of my shop in the morning. I don't want to have to be dealing with uh, employees who are not showing up or employees who are coming in drunk or whatever it is. And And I was like, this is not my lane. And I was just like showing up every single day with this like just insane sense of dread, like this insane sense of like, I'm off. I've really lied to myself. Go ahead. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I've been one of the experiments I've been doing relates directly to that, Ron. And I'm curious what you think and what you think, Vasilisa, Um, which is if you're having an emotional response that's that's saying, don't do this. Like, this is, I'm freaking out. You know, I'm, I'm getting scared. I'm, I'm anxious, but the, but that part of you that is having that emotional experience, you know, is a traumatized part. And let's say you believe you can change one, your emotional responses. Then what feels like a message saying, don't do this is actually like listening to a kid who doesn't really know what 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 the big picture is you know Mm, 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 and so what i'm experimenting with right now is allowing those emotions and being like i i know you don't want to do this but like trust me it's good you know we just got to do it maturely and and i'm finding that i think there might be something to that it seems to be i seem to be succeeding in this experiment so far Mm. at the same time it's fucking hard you know like it's not (laughs) it's not fun you know it would be so much easier just to like um do something that has less stakes but I also am considering, since it's an experiment, that I could be dead wrong and that I'm just doing something that's going to cause suffering. Do you have anything to say about that, Vasilisa? 
yeah, what you are actually talking about uh, is mentioned in logotherapy, mm. uh, and Victor Frankl said uh, mentioned courage a lot, like a lot mm. in his book. And I'm sure uh, Daniel, you also remembered, uh, might might relate and remember this. And so he's saying that um, it's not about not having fear because fear will be there, but it's about having courage to do things anyway, in spite of fear. See, and that's the thing is in Ron's story, I don't think either of us or anybody would say, yeah, sorry, man, you did the wrong thing. You should have like been courageous in the, you know, in the face of that uh, misery, you know, but in my case, I feel pretty confident that I'm doing, doing the right thing. And it feels, it's hard, but it's right. And so it just muddies the waters when it comes to, you know, emotional intelligence, right? You got to listen but it's not always that they're the boss either, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think there's, I think part of it is something that Stephen Pressfield, who I've, I've mentioned so many times during these podcasts is he calls, he calls moments like that, like our shadow career or mm-hmm. um, something that we use as a smoke screen for the thing that we should really be doing. And he goes in description and he's on a bunch of different episodes, podcast episodes around. And he's got a book. I'm looking at bookshelves up here, by the way. Uh, He goes on about how we can get ourselves into a situation pretending, like trying to convince ourselves it's the right one, even though because it's safe or because there's less risk involved uh, or because it's socially acceptable. And... And I think that's what I was experiencing was like, I was looking for a kind of safety and Mm -hmm. a kind of social acceptability. And, and I would also say status, right? Because it's like to own a hospitality business in this town is kind of a its own little status thing. Um, And, and for me, that was not the right move for others. It's exactly the right move. It's exactly where they should be. Um, And I exactly where they should be. And, potentially with very similar emotional experience. Exactly. I think that's, that's totally right. That's totally right. Like you can have the signals going off, like your warning lights in your brain or your soul going off and the same warning sign can mean something different to a different, to See, different person. Exactly. And I spent the weekend with someone uh, uh, recently and um, they were telling me how they were not an analytical person. They were kind of giving me a little shit for being a- analytical myself because I'm pretty analytical. And um, and I was like, we didn't argue about it or anything like that. I was just kind of listening. But I did realize that if you can focus the analytical part of your brain, there is a lot to be gained by understanding how what you're feeling, why you're feeling it. Like you were saying that you have a pretty firm grip on Vasilisa with yourself you know, why you're feeling something, that you're feeling something, maybe a label of what that emotion is. Because if you take all the labels off of emotional experiences, some emotions are really similar experiences. I've experienced, for example, like lust or sexual desire. I, when I like take away why I'm realizing or feeling that, sometimes it's very similar to anxiety and like a, like a, a different form of anxiety. But my point is, is that like emotions are very fluid and there's a lot of gray between them. And understanding that, and I just think that it's one of the best things that I've been in, I've like started doing in my life. And it, it's a hell of a process, don't get me wrong. Like my life doesn't look like this perfect sparkling thing, but it certainly feels like it's being more authentic. The sign is being cut and my well-being and quality of life is improving. Like 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And actually when you are speaking about yeah, the analytical part and then the emotional part, because, you know, uh, we can play with analytical part too much, but, you know, um, <laughs> rationalizing things and, and proving things to ourselves. So like there is this analytical part, emotional part, and then like your conscious, which is unbiased. You just see things for what they are, you know? That would and be then the, uh, yeah, you use ahead. emotions and analytics as, as your tool. Yes. It sounds like the, the, so the phrase emotional intelligence is a little bit contradictory, right? Like, like to have an emotion mm -hmm. and then to use intelligence. It, like yes. what's define that for us, like your, your idea of emotional intelligence and how you describe it to your clients. So how I describe it uh, to my class and how uh, Daniel Goldman, <laughs> the mm. father of emotional intelligence, uh, mm. describes it, it's uh, being aware of your emotions mm. and uh, knowing how to handle them and <laughs> knowing how to control them and being aware of other people's emotions and how to deal with them, you know, how to respond to them, how to uh, change them or to guide them in a, in a different direction. So it's not only about your emotions but about your interaction with others so it's, it's more than only about one person it reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about uh before we started recording which was that some um what people would consider more masculine uh attributes of, mm. of human psyche are you you um and please like correct me if i'm wrong um we're essentially saying that some of those attributes are more uh, could could actually lead to emotional intelligence um, being like kind of achieved more. What were you saying around that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, because when you are learning emotional intelligence, yeah, unfortunately you are learning it as a subject to some extent because mm -hmm. it involves observation, analysis, and then uh, taking steps, some uh, experiments just to see how how it makes you feel different so so that you are rewiring your brain like you know mm. uh, you are using this uh, neuroplasticity which which a human brain mm. has to 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 benefit right and and men like typically uh versus women have more skills you know to, to do this because uh it's it's in their nature to to analyze to plan to to predict and so on but but, uh, you know, there are HSP, high, high, highly um, sensitive people, men as well. And I've had a lot of uh, clients who had uh, more feminine than ma masculine in, in them, although they were men. So it's not that, yeah. you know, black no, that's, it's not Yeah, that's, that's why I phrase it as masculine attributes of the yeah. psyche. And even that is still a, a metaphor. Like, yeah. you know, we had Tracy Hunter uh, on... Um, she's was such a fun conversation. That's the one that you listened to, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she has like, she'll degender um, attributes of the psyche and just put them into categories that have nothing to do with gender. And I really like that. And I, I feel like one of the things I'm doing is taking away these gender labels and gender metaphors from things because they just seem like they're falling short right now in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah. I think part of it is people have, uh, have created too hard of boundaries around those phrases. 
yeah. masculine feminine right like it mm-hmm. means this is this you you mentioned Vasilis before the thing the use the phrase stereotypes and I think it's a really good f- phrase to use around these things because they're hard definitions that aren't exactly right but we use them anyway you know yeah. the, a stereotype of a personality type or of a country or of the behavior around certain people or certain things like it's easy for us to create these stories is what a stereotype mm-hmm. is right around a certain kind of experience and and gender gender roles or or maybe even uh attributes can get lumped into that and we're and we're tired of people are tired of this bullshit and want to change it yeah and <laughs> tracy Tracy Hunter, she actually uh, has one word that, and I, I don't want to speak a hundred percent for her, yeah. but my impression was that she has one word that she, she can, she can describe masculinity with and one word she can describe femininity with. And don't get me wrong. Like she would tease that out in a million different ways. I'm sure it's just, if you wanted to, if you wanted to boil them down to one word, she had that tool too. And it was mm. autonomy and connection mm. um, and autonomy. Mm. M- being like Ron, you want to guess which one that would be, um, and connection being the uh, the other, and so um, connection, feminine, autonomy, masculine, and I do like like removing word the uh, labels and having like what do we really mean by that? But even that becomes problematic because I feel like as I say certain things, judgments are associated with each one of those attributes so the whole thing this just seems really problematic and sketchy i I mean it is problematic (laughs) and sketchy and and, you know in one in one instance like i would actually by my behavior by the evidence in my life i would probably say that i'm more connection driven than than driven towards autonomy and uh, maybe it's because I listened to a lot of the Cura as I was growing up. I don't know. I was really into that stuff. Uh, <laughs> and my wife is actually more autonomous. And and that is probably a result of how my mother was and my father was and that kind of thing too. But I, I get it. I totally get where it's happening. But I also like get why it's so sticky. You know? Tracy was talking about herself as being naturally more masculine and yeah. she was developing her feminine side, you know? Yeah, totally. Do you, totally. do you work with those terms a lot? And the idea that we, if we were to use the metaphor that we have both have opposite sex aspects of ourselves, if we were saying it was just opposites, which I know it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I cannot say that it um, takes place in my, in my, practice you know i try not to separate those because i take every person as you know as a clean slate the way they are and then yeah we work with what with what they have so essentially you're not looking at their gender at all uh no that's awesome see that (laughs) no seriously i'm not like just trying to agree like i think that that right there is what's being created in this world like we're just looking at gender less it's also breaking down within itself and it's just all kind of like going away in a way, but also having being respected uh, in at wherever a one person has landed, you know, and it's, it's awesome. It's beautiful. You know, for, it seems like for the past, let's say since the, you know, you mentioned Adler before and, and Frankel, when were, when, what were the years that Frankel was active, like up until the 30, up until the fifties? 
Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. around there. Yeah, so now we're now we're roughly 70 years since then, right? And and it seems like we're kind of experiencing these like accelerated periods of more emotional intelligence, um, people understanding the childhood roots of attachment mm -hmm. and trauma and how they affect us into adulthood. What's your what's your like your greatest hope for the future as a coach and uh, what you're seeing is possible because the, I mean what I'm hearing is po possible from Dan is like change is possible and and I've experienced in my own life my the men that I coach have experienced like what what are you seeing what are you excited about for your clients in the future mm -hmm. yeah uh, the same uh, as as you just mentioned change and and what I see that people. Uh, you know, become more and more separated from each other. Mm. Although at the same time, they are all longing for more connection. Yeah. And so this is this paradox that is like more, more and more acute with each day. And so, because people, um, as we say, we hurt ourselves with our thoughts. Yeah. With our interpretation of what, of what, of what is going on, because. And then people, okay, uh, build up those those barriers and think the world is uh, out to get them and so on and so on. Yeah. And uh, what I'm working on with my clients is to to teach them that once you open up, yeah, uh, the world starts uh, opening up because mm -hmm. the world is your mirror, kind of. You know? oh, wow. What you what you uh, translate into the world, you get back. It cannot be that you are translating this um, mistrust and then um, you know expecting people to to come and, and trust you and uh, you know be open and connected with you. Right. It starts. It starts with you. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it reminds me. Uh, I, I share something uh, kind of mm. personal. Um, I wrote this. I hardly ever write poems. Like. It's just not what I do anymore. I used to do it a lot when I was younger. But the other morning, I spent like an hour or two in this pretty dreamy space uh, before I was waking up. It was at, at at dawn, you know. And I ended up, I had this image of a castle, and I played around with it a lot in my own, like, personal mythology in my inner world. Hmm. I definitely inhabit a castle and been fascinated by that, for uh, by castles in general since I was a kid. So it's become kind of the way I see where I live in my inner world. Long story short, I was like, a castle is the way that I love. You know, it keeps people out when I want them out mm -hmm. and it holds them in when I want to hold them in, you know? And that's just like a very basic interpretation of that. And I could go into that more, but that's the gist. And I was like, that those walls are thick and high and they've been built for good reasons. And I see what one thing I'm going through personally right now is that castle coming down. And this was his poem was about is this castle coming down and yeah. the way that I love coming down, you know, and, and it's saying now in ruins, it's rubble, mm -hmm. you know, but, but what's really nice about that. And this is Victor Frankl a little bit. What's really nice about having to some extent, at least I'm sure I'm being a little bit um, hyperbolic is and dramatic, but um, is that, What's great about it being decimated, even though it's hard, you know, is that there's opportunity to start again. 
and what this poem ended up being about and it involved a garden and a statue and all this like kind of like I got into the gist of of like my inner world and some symbology but the gist is is that there's a new structure being built and like in my inner world one thing I'm doing is taking all this rubble and using the raw resources organizing things and rebuilding a structure that is in the image of how I believe love is possible. And it's a much more open structure, you know, Mm. and there's vast walkways that lead inside and through, and there's Mm. just a lot of air and space and water can flow and light can come in and things can grow. And it still had all that with a castle. There's still a courtyard and things can grow in that courtyard, but it's contained is the point, you know? Mm. And it was a really beautiful experience doing that. And it was very therapeutic also, because now I can conceptualize maybe what I'm personally going through, which doesn't really matter the details, but it's like, that's what's going on. It's a falling and a sorting out uh, recognition of what's what I have raw materials wise, no judgment, and then a rebuilding in, in a new image. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. And, and this is the only way, you know, we can change the world by, by rebuilding like our castle mm. yeah, into, into something that, that serves not only us, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful. That's really great. Vasilisa, where can people find you? Like where, where, what's the best way to get a hold of you or find your work or see more of what you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have um, a website where uh, I have my blog uh, and people can read and get some ideas and insights and tips. It's vasilisacoaching.com. Uh-huh. And yeah, Instagram. Uh, I'm present there a lot. Uh, yeah. Stories and, and also my Instagram blog. I saw yeah. your post today. You were doing yoga, I think, or you were you were in a yogic pose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> meditating. Nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And what's the and what's the name of your uh, Instagram account? Yeah, uh, as well, Vasilisa Coaching. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, you're uh, a great gift to us to get to talk with us. We really appreciate it. It's, you bring a lot of uh, intelligence and thoughtfulness to this. Thanks for sharing your background. I had never heard of highly sensitive person before. I was excited to hear about that. And it's obviously you're the real deal. You're really, I was like, this is badass <laughs> that we've got someone like her t- uh, speaking with us today. And also I have this like real sense of what a gift it is that you're helping people on earth, like that you're out there doing your thing and creating um, healing journeys for all kinds of folks that are finding you. That's so cool. That's really, really neat. And, and now we get to kind of link arms together and help more people together. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I started doing this, it, it felt like I have no choice. It's just what I have wow. to do. Yeah. yeah. Like, That's so like good. I, I'm, I'm home. I arrived, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's funny you mentioned that. I experienced something recently. It was like the umbrella under which everything else exists now is clear. Yeah. That's a really good way to describe that too. Well, cool guys. Appreciate everybody uh, coming today. Thank you so much, Vasilisa. And we will make sure to have links to your stuff in our show notes. And, um, you know, anytime you can, we can be of service to you in any way, we're happy to, to reach out to you and speak yeah. with you, Vasilisa. Yeah, thank you very much, guys, for inviting me today and having this amazing, just amazing conversation. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. Awesome. Likewise, if, if I can be of any help, 
Thank yeah, you. you already have been. It was amazing today. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Okay, take care, everybody. Nice to meet you. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Welcome to the field dressing. We had Vasilisa, emotional intelligence coach, with us today. Obviously, she's extremely intelligent. <laughs> Obviously, extremely emotionally intelligent. <laughs> yeah, she knows what she's doing. I feel like I'm such a knuckle dragger around someone like Vasilisa or Dr. Tracy for that, you know, for that matter. Really? We do you? Yeah, I totally do. Yeah. Wow. I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm laughing because. <laughs> because <laughs> i'm i feel like i'm like the ape that's like just barely sparking the like the stones you're, together <laughs> you're, come on man you're being falsely modest you you're you can follow this stuff better than most people and i i'm gonna own it man this is this is what i want to do and the conversations i want to have and i feel like she's speaking the languages we're we're learning and she's yeah. she's definitely further along undoubtedly and she's professional and she's helping others on a daily basis like she's doing the thing right yeah but you you get what she's saying oh right? i totally get it i i, I get it man. but um <laughs> like i think my inner man feels like a knuckle dragger like i've learned to speak the language but, I'll, but it's <laughs> yeah, kind of remember man. those commercials where it was the the neanderthal like dressed as like a modern man it was more the, it was, i think it was like a insurance commercial or something yeah i see what you mean yeah. <laughs> i mean i'm not saying my ability to execute is like anywhere yeah. near what she's doing but um you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but also, man, like you, you, I know you, man, you're doing a lot of good work in your life and it's on par with anything she's talking about. Appreciate that, dude. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, the couple of things we've, we talked about, we jumped through there was emotional intelligence. I don't think we talked about emotional sobriety it, during that, but we were kind of talking about it beforehand but then emotional yeah. agility, right? And, I, and I'm really glad she brought up, I think his name is Daniel Goldman, the guy who kind of coined the phrase emotional intelligence. And she had said, it's like the ability to own your emotions, handle them when they come up, recognize them in other people, and then have a game plan for what's going to happen when they're coming up in other people. Wow. And, yeah. and I, <laughs> so let me tell you a funny story. Years ago, there was a guy in my neighborhood who started to mentor me through um, uh, hunting and archery. And, and fast forward a few years, I ended up hiring his daughter uh, at actually the donut shop that I was telling you about. And, and I was like, oh, I know your dad. He's a cool guy. And she's like, uh, he's kind of cool, you know, and kind of giving me these like signals that she doesn't want to talk about it, that it's like too difficult and yeah. like, whatever, don't really think much of it. Fast forward, I, I, I wasn't in contact with this person, but uh, my daughter ended up in um, his apartment building, like the hallway, like, you know, a lot of apartment buildings in this neighborhood uh, with a bunch of other little kids and she didn't have a mask on. And this was kind of like maybe last fall, last September. Yeah. And, and, so I get this text message from this person berating me just like just over and over again about how dangerous it is to let my daughter out without a mask. And I get it. I, I'm like, Oh, he's mad. So I apologize. So sorry. Uh, I, 
you know, go into accepting responsibility, going into apologizing, you know, saying it's not going to happen again, all those things. And then it just continues like mm. and after I apologized, even after I had accepted responsibility, yeah. didn't try to make any excuses. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. At this point, I'm having dinner with my wife and we're, we're on a date at a nice restaurant here in town. And, and, and my phone is just blowing up with this person. He is like laying into me and won't stop. And I uh, did one of the most gratifying things I've ever done on my phone, which was to open up his contact details and press this little button that says block. And I blocked that individual <laughs> from contacting me. And that was about a year ago. And uh, this last Sunday, I was at the archery range and he shows up and, hmm. and I have not seen him since then. And, uh, and there was a part of me, Daniel, that was like, oh shit, here it comes. Like, <laughs> like, is this about to go down? Right. Are we about to have like bow and arrow duels? Exactly. Like to, for that to happen at a place, for that to happen at one of the few places and situations where you could actually easily kill each other from a range silently and probably get away with it. I've been to that archery range. If you're the only two there, you aren't going to get away with it. <laughs> well, thankfully there was a lot of other people there, okay. but there was a part of me that wanted to like straight up run away. Right. Like I was like, sure. Holy shit. And I didn't, I, instead, I just like, I just stood my, I didn't stay my ground in the sense that he was confronting me, but what I, what I, I didn't hide. And I, and I tried to make eye contact with him and like kind of give him a wave. And, uh, and he wouldn't, either he didn't notice me and didn't acknowledge me, or he did notice me and decided to not acknowledge me. And yeah. so I sh stayed for another 15, 20 minutes and shot my rounds and like got back in my car. And I even like walked to my car really slowly in case he wanted mm -hmm. to come over and talk to me or something. And, and I got away and I was just like, ah, I don't know what to do with that. Like, do I, do I allow that? Um, it, it, you know, it's weird that there's a, that there's still residue from that emotional interaction you know a year later or something the right? tricky part of that though is that it's a year later he's been blocked the whole time yeah see check exactly. it out yeah he might have texted you six months ago being like listen man i was having a really hard time i'm so sorry about that my bad and you never would have gotten it so he i know that's a dick <laughs> <laughs> i know he could be feeling all kinds of like judgment who knows who knows around that that's block people temporarily not permanently <laughs> okay. Should I unblock him? <laughs> no, I'm not saying for you to do that. It's just like a little slogan, yeah. slogan that I do. I'll block someone for a while, but I, I, one time, you know what, this comes from experience. One time I accidentally left someone blocked this last summer, like about a year ago. Mm. And I didn't realize it. And I was like, why am I not hearing from this person? Like we had conflict, but we should be okay. Yeah. And didn't hear from him. Didn't hear from him. And I was like, Wow. <laughs> And then I look, I uh, somehow learned, you know, three or four or five months later that I had blocked the whole time and it, it really uh, slowed down our ability to come out of it, which we finally did and made a joke out of it because he knew I'd blocked him, you know. <laughs> Does the other person see a sign that says like you've been blocked? I don't think contract? so. I don't okay. think so. I don't did think you so. tell him? Did you tell that person? like? Oh, oh I, I apologize. You. Apologize profusely. I, it was a temporary thing, you know. Oh, it, was, it was a good move in the in the moment but uh yeah. i did not mean to continue it <laughs> it's a funny you know a year years and years ago i was at uh i was hanging with a friend of mine and 
he was in the middle of a pretty tough business conflict, like mm-hmm. really tough. It was like, so it was kind of, it's kind of one of those moments for this guy where this was the topic of conversation every time we were together was this like real bad conflict he was having in his, in the business yeah. he owned. Mm-hmm. And he and I are talking and he sends a text message to this person based on a conversation he and I had, it was, and it was him like truly trying to reach out and create a bridge and create some, some uh, mm. resolve to this. And he gets an email, a text message back that just says, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now, which is one of the three auto responders yeah. that comes back. Right. Well, my buddy saw that, saw how fast it was and, and didn't realize it was an auto responder. And so he had this like well of like anger and resentment, yeah. just like I saw it like, a freaking Disney character, like Jafar, just like, it's, here it comes. And, and, and before he could cast his, his like dark secret magic spell, um, I stopped and I was like, Hey man, I don't think he meant anything by that. I think that's just his fat is his, like where his thumb landed on the autoresponders. And, and you could see the darkness, like leave his face as he realized what was going on and realized he didn't have to take it personally was like oh and what's funny is is we continue to hang out i think we were doing some woodworking together in his garage and he like minutes later it's like some amount of minutes later like 10 minutes later something he's like oh god ronnie thank you for saving me with that one like i was getting worked up and i had this whole story created around that and it just was him like he was in a meeting that's the thing, man. How many, uh, one of the most heartbreaking parts about living in this world is knowing how many misunderstandings happen, you know? And I think that ergo, right. That one of the best things that we can do as people, I mean, one of the most helpful things is, um, is our resting state somehow being that an understanding it's not about me. It's not personal place as opposed with anything yeah as opposed to hair trigger take it personally that that switch and shift right there um i think helps would help uh, it, it i whatever about other people it has helped me you know because yeah. it's usually not personal and when it is like it, it, that'll reveal it i don't know maybe it won't reveal itself but like i feel like let's say nine times out of ten for argument's sakes, or even if it's six out of 10, more often than not, it's not about us. You know, it's not about yeah. me. It's yeah. not personal, you know? So let's just assume that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really smart phrase. I like the words you just used, the hair trigger. I, uh, yeah. I know, that's a, that's a very Western phrase that my dad kind of had on lockdown because he, he was a kind of self-taught gunsmith and, and a hair trigger is like the actual mechanism of a rifle or a pistol that, that feels like you just barely touch the trigger and it, and the gun goes off. Yeah. And he really prided himself on like how he could get the, the pull. That's what they call it. The weight on the pole down to like almost nothing on his hunting rifle. Jeez. And, and, and I, I almost think we lose the connection with what that phrase means, hair trigger, because it's an explosive, dynamic, dangerous, uh, destructive reaction after hair trigger. And, and, yeah. and I think that's a good way uh, like to 
to kind of recoup or not recoup, but to, to reclaim like, Oh, this is not like when you say hair trigger about our emotions and our anger in particular, like, you know, that's, it's, it's meant to be emphatic and it should be emphatic because there is danger on the other side of that. That's what Vasilisa was talking about when, when we were all discussing how automatic uh, emotional responses can be right? right. Like that's a hair trigger in my, in my estimation. It's, it's like it didn't take hardly any effort for that thing to go off. And now it's my primary experience in this world, you know? Right. For me, at least, when my emotions come, they generally come pretty strong, you know? Yeah. At least around the topics we're talking about. And, man, what do you do in that stage? And what she said and what you reiterated here about recognizing when they're happening in someone else. Yeah. And then ha- and, and maybe at the same time happening in you. Like that is, that's a place where I would like to get to and have had very few successes recently, um, but they're starting to come, which is I'm upset. Um, and we were, well, I was uh, in a therapy appointment the other day and my therapist, uh, uh, this therapist said that when you're up around a seven of anger or anxiety, mm. your, your um, IQ drops 20 to 30 points. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> and, like, yeah I, it's crazy right and on top of that you're also now experiencing life through uh the lens of whatever part of you is that pissed p- possibly a traumatized part which means possibly a younger part so interesting. It, it was just like that is that is not the time to be doing any thinking you know mm-hmm. even if you take a break from that you're super triggered and pissed even if you have the wherewithal to be like this isn't a good time for us to talk and you do get away even at that stage he was like don't be reflecting on this situation it's not the time to do it oh wow it's just like that's what a great piece of advice you know it's like that's when you get into your body that's when you ground that's when you exercise that's when you do something out of your head what did he, what was his, his advice on like, when do you deal with that stuff? Like, how do you, how do you come back to resolving it? Oh, just when you're, you know, when you're not, not triggered. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 You're like, do, 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 do. you know, your powers yeah. are back up. I don't know. <laughs> I remember the first time I, <laughs> when your life bar is full yes, health. Man, yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember the first time I, I had kind of like my uh, physical out, outburst like healthy outburst to phys- to anger i was like in high school and fighting with my girlfriend and i had a um like one of those like 1980s like workout machines in my room that like i you know you put it down on one angle it's a row machine you like set it up at a different angle and it's like a bench press machine that was my stepdad's and it had set, been sitting in my room my entire life i had never touched it and about 14 15 years old get a fight with my girlfriend and I just go over there and I just rip out a bunch of of like who knows what exercise I was doing at the time but it worked it physically worked and I was like there you go oh there's this thing between our bodies and our nervous systems and our emotions I of course I wouldn't have said those phrases exactly but oh I feel better I was mad now I feel better you know and but what it's complicated right what if you're like injured or you can't really do anything 
you know, and then, yeah. then what do you do? Well, yeah. then you like take a shower. I don't know, you know, like yeah, yeah. just getting out of the mind and, and the letting the emotions like work, you know, go away and fade away. It's it's yeah. hard, man. I mean, it's yeah. that's why one of the things I'm concentrating on right now as far as emotional intelligence would be is recognizing that the anger that I experience in conflict is the far, is the red line is like, mm-hmm. that's the far end of a spectrum that over here on the other side, um, there's experiences I have that they're not angry, but they're keyed up a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and there's like, I can pretty clearly feel in the course of conflict, maybe four or five stages of, of distinctly different emotion but that all are leading to anger if they should, if I'm yeah. making choices and escalating. It's totally. it's the real deal, you know? And yeah. so now I can connect that, the consequences of speaking from anger to way over here, very manageable choices, uh, emotional experience that I can, I can choose a different way and calm yeah. down. It's not overwhelming yet. Yeah. That's so good. That's super good. Well, dude, thanks for uh, finding Vasalisa. She was a real, uh, great gift like Jim to have on our show and I think that's only continued and deepened our conversation around emotional intelligence I appreciate that and as always good to see you man glad that we get this gift to do this together thanks my friend it's been great really yeah awesome dude all right see you next time 